0: Blood, guts, and gore, welcome to this house of horror. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Nightmares Podcast. My name is Zachary Smith, and I'm here with kitty cat Mark Conway and the Brandon of Rakowski. How's everyone doing tonight?
1: I,
2: I thought I would be the one introing, so I'm a little <laughs> in shock
1: right now. <laughs> and I don't understand why Zach is talking like a 1930s admin.
0: I mean, we gotta sell our product, man. What are you doing?
1: We're gonna burn this whole See, his name's Lightning. We're gonna make a lot of money. <laughs> Shut up, dollface. Hey, you keep talking, I'm going to punch you right in the kisser. Oh, oh, oh. Tune in to hear the Heroes of the Yesteryear.
2: <laughs> that, that, that's the greatest movie song for never to be made.
1: Yeah. Here's the Heroes <laughs> of the
2: Alright, so Zach, since you're taking over, what are we talking about today? Today
0: we're talking about director and cinematographer relationships on the film set. Hello, everybody.
1: Nobody can see this right now, but Zach's face is getting really red okay. while he's trying to say this.
0: This is not as easy as it sounds.
1: No, it's not. And, and, I'm, and he's norm- I'm normally the crazy person. And well, Zach- somebody
0: has to take over Mark's position, eh? <laughs> Please talk like that the entire podcast. Yeah,
1: wow. hey, I'm gonna try. He'll do it for 30 minutes and then die. It's gonna eventually fade out. It's just gonna be like, hey, where the fuck did that guy's voice go? The, uh... Oh, well, you're probably wondering where Zach went. Zach died.
2: <laughs> I'm he sure. that David went right now?
1: The uh, he's
0: already dead. Yeah, he he's sick and. David be is here. currently dying right now. You know, the coronavirus is spreading and it's affecting everybody. So you can't prove it's coronavirus. The the threat is real. Look, he drinks Corona. It's the coronavirus. You know, Corona, 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 Corona. Woohoo! The uh... <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> Somebody put some cocaine in Zach's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> hey.
0: Somebody called Stephen King. I want to see what he's doing next month.
1: The, uh...
0: I'm Stephen King, and I'm going to make a movie. We're going to get ACDC to make the soundtrack. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Ride the lightning. Oh, wait. That's Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh... Uh,
1: ACDC
2: has a lightning bolt in their name, so it's close enough.
1: Hey, hey, hey Brennan. Uh Hey, Stanley.
2: How was it, Stanley? It was good, Stanley. Oh, good for the love what of things. What unholy. did you think, Stanley? I liked it so much, I want to do it 100 more times, Stanley. Oh, that oh, sounds great, Stanley. <laughs> All right, so... This
1: we... is a very awkward conversation, eh? <laughs> God, I, That's... You know what's so funny? That's a joke that we have... Speaking of of jokes and things that are related to directors, we haven't done that. For anybody who's wondering what the fuck we're talking about, uh, Brandon and I, and Zach at occasion, uh, would have running jokes about us making fun of directors uh, uh george lucas uh um, kubrick and chris nolan chris nolan probably
0: being the most popular
1: um during the list um obviously uh the the best thing is christian bale dealing with stanley kubrick on a set which is pretty great i would
0: pay so much money to see that in person i'm not
1: <laughs> have him like have like the terminator salvation meltdown on the shining
0: set just not to whatever the hell it was a camera assistant grip I don't fucking know he just uh, does it to Stanley and it becomes an all out nuclear war
1: and then it's like holy
0: shit well, <laughs> the Christian Bale rant yeah entire. yeah that was actually at the DP himself oh okay yeah I couldn't remember if it was a DP grip or camera but oh man
1: <laughs> yeah that was fun that was an interesting time yeah that was that was, that was a good time that was, yeah that was a good time to no knock hope required um uh, so Brandon what are we talking about
0: yeah <laughs> I already said it's right to cinematographer for relationships, hey?
1: Is Zach and I are laughing and Brandon's already exhausted. <laughs> he's like, I deal with both of you, God. We're gonna the, get on topic at some point. The uh, you know, he's like, you know what? I only had I only have one one regret. I don't I, I don't I regret not making more friends in my twenties.
0: <laughs> That's right, because he's almost 30.
1: The, uh,
0: Wes won't stop talking about it. I'm getting old guys!
2: Oh yeah, Wes and I were born on the same day. So.
0: Yeah, ain't it great? Oh, right Wes. The yes. two are two uh, sides of the same coin. <laughs>
2: well, the, the people who click on this can see the title of the podcast, so we got to get to the
0: topic at some <laughs> we're point, in
1: the, like, guys. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll get to the topic at some point,
1: eh? We'll, we'll Mosey over there. So, Zach, what are we talking about? Director of Cinematographer Relationships, eh? The, uh... right.
2: as, as Zach said, we are talking about the Director of Cinematographer relationship. Specifically, things I wish more directors knew. Uh, There are a lot of videos out there that talk about director cinematographer relationships, but a lot of those videos are more about technical things. And there are just a few personal slash business things that I think um, aren't getting enough attention that I think will be helpful to any of our filmmaker listeners.
1: Very cool. Indeed. Very, Very cool. So I'm gonna kind of like jump in here and there. Uh, I don't have as much uh, skin in the game on this one.
0: Well, he is an actor, indeed. I,
2: I'm sure there'll be a few things that you'll have to say. Oh, His I'm,
1: job is um, to get bossed around. The yeah, uh, I, well, doing producer work, you know, and making sure the whole thing, being the puppet master, making sure the whole thing works. Yeah. For and
2: some s- of this will apply to the producer role as well.
1: Correct, indeed. The uh, so so, Brandon. Why don't you? Uh, um, we'll let the DP uh, talk chat first.
2: Uh, so probably the first thing that I wish more directors knew, and it, this seems like a common sense thing, but with a lot of the people I've worked with, I found out common sense isn't necessarily common. Common sense is a common. No, um, and that was said by Socrates, and what long, long time ago. So really? well, Socrates has been dead for many years. That's eh? alarming that this thing's been around for that long. But
0: anyway, Brandon, why don't you tell us who Socrates is? no i don't want to
1: he's a greek philosopher end of discussion thank you mark the, i like greek um, philosophy <laughs> Zekel' tired himself out don't worry about it if we just ignore him maybe he'll go away yeah. um, he's not a t-rex there is a kitty <laughs> the apparently a t-rex with ADD.
2: uh but yeah so the first topic is don't underestimate prep and pre-production no matter how little um, I have been on a few sets before where no prep was done whatsoever. Uh, there's one that Zach actually helped me out on that had literally no prep.
0: He literally dragged me along to it and, and it was the worst set I've ever been on in my life. Yeah.
2: And I don't mean, like, very little was done. I mean, literally nothing was done.
0: No script, no shot list, no shirt list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's enough. <laughs> I'm glad you tired yourself out. People
2: have to get something out of this, Zach. <laughs> You're
0: not wrong. All right. We, um... Yeah, on this set. We've been doing this for ten minutes.
2: (laughs) Seven minutes. Close enough. Minus anything that Zach may have edited out.
0: We'll see. I don't know. If you hear it, awesome. I'm probably not going to edit it out because I'm going to laugh at it too much myself when listening to it. But, yeah, anyways, on this set, there was literally no prep. All we knew was that we had to be at a location at a certain time. And that wasn't even happening because the person who was supposed to pick us up was an hour and a half late. We needed to transport equipment and everything like that. <clears throat> it was just an overall frustrating set. No sh- no shot list, no shooting script, no script, no nothing, no I prep. Just no go I- there and shoot. We had no idea how many
2: actors were even going to be on screen in any given scene.
0: Yeah. Um, like, the closest thing we knew was kind of what location we would be shooting in, and even that was still just kind of yeah, bare-bones information.
2: We knew the location, but we didn't <clears throat> know specifically what parts of the location. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, nothing about that shoot went well. Even afterwards, more problems came of it than, you know, anything. I don't think anything good came of it, actually, from what I heard. It was no. just more problems. And it, it just a little bit of prep goes a long yeah,
2: way. Yeah, a little bit of prep goes
0: a long way. Um... I would say the bare minimum thing you want to prep, like when d- between the dire- d- yeah, the director and the DP, you want to go over your script, they need to know the story, and the shot list. You know, your DP is going to be the one who's in charge of helping you shoot the damn movie. So shot list, I would say, is arguably the most important thing you need to go over with your DP.
2: Yes, uh, shot list (laughs) is definitely the most important thing you can go over with your DP because that informs us how you actually envision the script. And it helps establish tone. If the crew has a shot list and they know that you've at least thought through a plan, So on a subconscious level, the crew doesn't think you're just making everything up as you're going along, um, which that can help morale. Um, Like even if I just had like a basic shot list, even if it was just something as simple as wide shot and a couple close-ups, that would have made me feel a whole lot better about the set we just talked about because that at least meant there's at least something of a plan, even if that plan ends up going out the window
0: for whatever reason. It at least means you thought of something in advance. Yeah. Another problem you can run into when you try to do something like this, your DP doesn't know what equipment he needs to bring. So it takes more time to bring all that equipment instead of taking the time to put all those pieces of equipment aside that you could have used. And then also you may run into the risk of just shooting every possible angle to get everything you may or may not want. All that does is eat up time and potentially kind of annoy people Mm. because it shows you don't know what you're doing. Well, maybe not you don't know what you're doing, but you don't know what you want. That's something you should never do as a director. As a director, you need to know what you want and you need to know how to get to the destination that you need to go. And you have your entire crew there to help you out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If you don't know something, ask away. Um, Which that'll be in a topic we discuss later in
2: this podcast. Fair.
1: Um... So, Zach, as you as a director, what do you think is Uh more important? Knowing what you want or knowing how to get it? I think knowing what you want is definitely the most important thing because your crew can
0: help you get there. Fair enough. At the end of the day, when I'm shooting something, especially if it's something I've written, I know what I want. I may not know how to get there exactly, but thankfully Brandon knows everything about cameras, lenses, shooting styles, and all that. So I tell him what I want, and he helps guide me there.
2: And other things that the shot list will help out with, like let's say you want a slow motion shot. Um, like let's say you want to film it at, uh, let me do a little quick math here so I can be accurate, um, let's say you want to shoot something at 96 frames per second, really good slow motion shot, uh, typically we shoot at 24 frames per second, that's normal speed. Um, if I know that you want a slow motion shot, that I can build that into the lighting, so it's like if I know in advance that you want s- slow motion, 96 frames per second, okay. that's four times as fast as the normal 24 frames per second, which would be two stops of light. A stop of light is basically one stop. Basically if you go from one stop of light to the next, you're basically doubling your light. Uh, a
0: stop is the measurement of light. One way to simplify or one of the <coughs> measurements of light. One way to simplify it if you're shooting slow motion, your shots are going to get darker, yes. so you need more light to light the shots. That's, a, that's essentially the simplest way to put it. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And so if I know that you need slow motion, then when I set up my lights, like let's just say I set up three basic lights, I know to make those lights brighter, and I can use what's called a scrim, which is like a metal grid, and they come in different measurements, like one stop, two stops. So if I know you want 96 frames per second... Once I have the lights set up, I just drop in one of those two-stop scrims, and then lighting is good for our normal 24 frames per second. Then when Zach says, okay, let's do the slow motion shot, instead of having to reconfigure all the lights, increase brightnesses, eat up time, all I have to do is take out those couple metal grids, we're good to go for the slow motion shot.
0: bam you've saved yourself so much time with extra setup. Yeah,
2: as opposed to if we just walk on set, I have no idea you want slow motion, and then all of a sudden you say you want slow motion. Well, I just lit for the normal motion, and now i got to create a whole lot more light when I didn't know we were going to have to do that. That eats up time. Yeah,
0: and something you should always take into consideration, especially as you get bigger and bigger in the league of filmmaking, time is money. The longer Mm -hmm. you take, the more you got to pay people. Because the further you get in the league, the more money you got to dish out to get your stuff done. And then oh, you yeah.
1: get, and then you get a deal with me, the producer. Yeah. Wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah. The um uh, and then and obviously nobody no director wants their film being intervened. However, it's the producer's job. Or one of the you know I mean obviously there's different types of producers and that's something for a later podcast. Yeah. But a but ultimately it is about the success of the project. Producers, you know, may have different functions. Some of them handle financials, some of them do handle the creative, but ultimately every producer's goal is for the project to get done, get done on budget and be the best project it possibly can be. Yeah. That's the that's the producer's job. And when you when you as a director don't do your job of making sure that things are getting done, the it makes the DP look bad, makes the producer look bad, and it makes project look bad so ultimately the director has a a great deal of responsibility and by not planning properly the DP is at a disadvantage of doing their job properly
0: indeed
2: Um, and you're going to notice a pattern in all these things (laughs) that I prepared for us to talk about communication is key and yeah just making sure that everybody has what they need Um, is there anything else anybody has to say about pre-production or prep
0: it's just take it seriously you know take as much time as you need on pre-production you know as long as the money hasn't started flowing yet you can take as long as you want don't you know diddle around with it of course but you know do what you need to do at the end of the day yeah
1: be plan be confident in it don't let it paralyze you though you know make make decisions make decisions work with your team don't be paralyzed by fear of, of not making... Because you have to make a decision. A decision going to be made whether you like it or not. Um, uh, the best advice I can say is be... Make as many decisions yourself.
0: And have confidence in them.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: the next one I have is... Don't be afraid to direct. Hmm. Um, by which I mean... Uh, for example, I have worked with a few directors before... Who they like to say... Oh, I just like to let my actors and crew... Do what they feel is best for the project Mm -hmm. Um, on the surface it's I feel like those directors don't want to feel like they're being micromanagers or they feel like that they're giving all this creative freedom to their crew and cast but in reality what that does is you have a cinematographer over here a production designer over there actors over there more actors over there in post-production you have the editor sound designer you have all these crew members and cast members who have no singular vision that they're following so if everybody has a script as and if the director says oh i just trust you do whatever you feel is right what i feel is right for the script may be different from what that actor feels is right for their performance, which may be different from what the production designer feels is right for the script, which may be different from what the editor feels. There's no head on the shoulders of the production. Essentially, you have a hydra trying to make a movie.
1: Or worse, you have a chicken with his head cut off trying to make a movie. Exactly. Yeah,
2: there you go. It's nothing will feel like it's... It'll be a too many many cooks in in the kitchen.
1: Exactly. Um, Not an A, because almost everybody's going to want to put their opinion in um and have you know too many chiefs not enough indians yeah yeah but um, at the end of the day you're the director you need
0: to facilitate that your job is to control the crew yeah. you and need to make the final decisions and me as a dp i like having direction i like knowing the box i need
2: to work within otherwise it's i don't know what we're gonna do um there was another shoot zach helps me prep for he wasn't part of the shoot but he helped me prepare for it um the director could not tell me what they wanted I had no idea what the shoot was even going to be. It wasn't a narrative shoot. It was an event slash interviews is what it ended up being. Um, I was actually sick as a dog <laughs> that time, so that kind of helped me prepare for it. And a huge shout-out to Wes,
0: who was on set that on day, set essentially keeping much... Brandon alive.
2: Yeah, but the director could not tell me what they wanted, and so because of that, it's I basically prepared... Every piece of equipment I had, because I had no idea what we would need, but that just led to that just leads to a situation that Zach mentioned earlier, where it's instead of only having what you need, it's now you have all this stuff in your vehicle that you gotta dig through to get to the piece that you need, and that needs some time. Um, and also if you're able to direct your crew, we're able to help you bring your vision to life. I believe it says in like, the cinematographer is there to bring the director's vision to life. That is my job. When we're on a living nightmare set, it is my job to bring Zach, the director's vision to life. Now of course with us it's a little weird because above that you have the four of us as the EPs of the show. Mm-hmm. Both a director and a producer at the same time. So fun! Yeah, and, on, and it gets even weirder because it's like on set, it's like okay, so I as a DP have to answer to Zach, but then Zach may have to answer to me, the producer, again, along with himself and Mark and David.
1: And I have a one-third vote, um, uh, we make it work. A one-fourth vote, uh, and also too, from just real quick, because I don't know, this is not a, what the podcast is about, but but I can tell from an actor's perspective of a director not, you know, not telling an actor what to do, yeah. At least from my perspective, I was like, "Then you just don't give a shit about my performance. Yeah. Like you, you've left me out here with no, no direction, not to do anything." It, film is a collaborative effort, and, yes. and as an actor, I treat that as a collaborative effort. I'm like, I want to be a part of this, and let's build something together. But I'm also I recognize like you're the boss. You're the one who's going to make the, these decisions, and ultimately, whether I like it or not, I got to go along with your lead. I mean, a, a film is the director's medium. Period um you know tv's writer's medium uh, film is a director's medium and theater is an actor's medium Every, you know they have the final say and interesting it's you know and that's why a lot of actors go back to theater or really like theaters because they have all the control because if you think about it uh, if, if you think about it you can rehearse a play and rehearse a play and rehearse a play but when it's time to perform that play the director's not up on stage with you they can't stop the play and and say I want to make this adjustment it doesn't work that way. That's... so so once they put once it's on stage, it, all bets are off Jack it's up to you. Yeah.
0: never thought about it like that. That's actually really
1: interesting. the um, uh, and and that's but ultimately though it, as you know and I've acted for you Zach you know and I understand yeah. I can't do the project without you but I but the the good part of this is a mutual respect. You can't do the project without me, the um, and we both know that. But at the end of the day, it is you're in charge. But somebody needs to be in fucking charge. Yeah, like you know, somebody needs to be making these decisions. And um, Robin Williams had a great quote about what directors are. Um, he said he said this about Peter Weir. Uh, he, he said directors are really good at um, the best directors are the ones that don't, don't tell you what to do. They don't tell you what to do. Um, they involve you in a collaborative experience, and then when you're actually in production and you're doing it, they just set up traffic cones. Like you're a car, and they they just set up like little traffic cones for for you to swerve one way or the other. They don't tell you what to do, but they set they set you up for a certain direction later on. Anything else. And that's a, it's a very soft way of directing, and you're not as involved, um, but you're involved, but you're not being as forced, you know, you don't need to be down somebody's throat, but you need to be out but the director needs to be out there putting those fucking traffic cones out there. They need to be out there directing traffic.
0: I remember early on in my when I was in school, um one of the first things my acting and director teacher taught me is to never directly show or tell your director your actors what to do. Some of them find that insulting apparently. And I always found that a little confusing why? I never it's like you're the director, why don't you just you want them to you essentially want them to do what you want them to do, right? But in my experience, like I've tested it a few times on this kid, but just just giving slight adjustments, just guiding, taking Mark's advice from the traffic cone thing, it works really well. Just give subtle adjustments, and eventually you'll get to where you need to go. Showing what you want to do, it's I don't know. I, I've just had better experiences with actually guiding than actually directly telling and showing myself. And actually, and then no. I was going to say, also, you get the creative freedom of the actors as well. Yeah. So that's where the collaborative
1: effort comes in. Very true, yeah. and, you know. And you took that, you took that advice that I that I learned like a charm. The um, uh, Zach now says action like Clint Eastwood. Now he never says action um, on set. Took, uh, um, Clint Eastwood was on Inside the Actor Studio, um, and he was talking about uh, when he actually directs. He doesn't say action. Uh, he actually sets up his whole crew, sets up his DP, and sets up the scene, and lets them. He knows you know people know when he's ready to go and he sets up the scene tells the the dp to roll uh, and then uh you know camera uh, camera app as well and just tells the actors whenever you're ready Whenever i like that
0: advice it's nice it's simple and it sounds a hell of a lot better than action the only time i ever use action is when there's like an action specific
1: scene that it's like as soon as i say it you need to go or you're across the fucking street um uh, trying to yell at an actor yeah. to uh to go what you did in, in, in episode one well, you had to. I was going to say, there wasn't much of a choice. There. There was, also, it was cold as shit. It, it, yeah, it was.
0: Um, yeah, shooting in Oh, wait, no, that was in the middle. That was the beginning of December. The, um, and the, it was raining. Actually, yeah, all, it was bad. <laughs> um,
1: uh, was raining
0: in December. I love that. that,
1: that was, was a,
2: Christmas decorations in the background uh, of a uh, horror piece.
1: Yep, it, it worked. Yeah. Um, it was fine. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you why uh, Clint Eastwood does that, though? Because of the horses. Yeah, because of, he was, when he was on Rawhide. Oh my. Rattle Man Raw The directors would come out with those huge bullhorns.
2: <laughs> Everybody, get ready. Zach, when ready. you held that note. Your levels were at a perfect negative six. Cool. <laughs> nice. That's never gonna happen again. No, out
1: here. no, probably not. What well, can uh, I say? I'm an awesome vocalist. The uh, yeah, that's pretty dope. But yeah, they, they would they would scream in these giant bullhorns, action, and it would freak the fucking horses out, and like it would ruin the take for. It would take them like five minutes to get the horses back to adjust. Clint Eastwood was like, Look, could you not do that? Because uh, <laughs> it's scaring the shit out of the horses, and the director was so insulted. He's like, how dare you tell me not to <laughs> not to say action in my bullhorn. Yeah, thankfully,
0: directors aren't as pretentious. Well, at least not that I'm fully aware of. It's a different kind of pretentious. that's Yeah. yeah. These days, um, uh, so um, Clint Eastwood
1: treats actors like horses. But yeah, <laughs> but,
2: yeah. Like I said, it's we're all there to serve the director's vision. And a little piece of advice I like to tell people who are just trying, who are just starting to get into directing is: How do you know what your vision is? Well, when we all read a script, all of us envision it differently. So, like for example, let's say we're reading a script that has three characters sitting around a table doing a podcast, all right? One director may envision it as just three close-ups. A close-up of Mark, a close-up with me, close-up of Zach, and just cut between those three close-ups. Another director may envision it as just do it in one three-shot, just going to go straight through, that's it. Another director may see the wide shot and are cutting between the close-ups. Another director may envision it as a dolly track around the table and the camera going around all three of us. Um, everybody envisions a script differently. So your vision, I say, is how you envision the script as you're reading it. And of course you can make adjustments and everything, but I think that's a good starting point if you don't know where to begin, is just picturing what shots am I, do I want in this sequence of the scene. And that helps you communicate with your DP and your editor, this is how I want it to look, this is how I want it to paste, so on and so forth.
1: Um, and the one the one thing I will say, though, is, and this is just general advice, all three of our jobs, actually all four of our jobs, because I have, I mean, we have all producing jobs, but I do acting and producing, all of that is made easy by a really good script. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and if I had to give, like, general pieces of advice, you have so do not have to fill in a lot of gaps um if the script is quality uh, i mean that that's just the ultimate truth especially i can especially speak to that from from an acting perspective like if the script is really good your job is so much easier yeah. like you don't have to fill in to fill in shit like it's just literally you've almost it just fell into your lap i mean like i've done you know theater plays that are you know arthur miller plays and like very well written plays, and they're so easy to do. Like you have to like it's just more of hard work and making sure you're doing, you know, the mm-hmm. things that you need to do. But that's the cool part when it's when it's a good script. You're making artistic choices rather than technical choices. Yes. Like you know, a a, a DP with a quality script like elm um, can have, you know, already has an idea because the script is so detailed. They're like. I kind of know what this looks like, and and everything, and through collaborative efforts of the director. But the cool part about it is, is they can start getting experimental. Like they don't have to like if it's very detailed and nails, they don't have to do a lot of legwork. Like it's right there, it's on the script. You know, it's easy to envision. The, and the cool part about it is, they can start getting creative and being like, hey. Like, this would be cool. That would be cool. You know, it becomes more of a creative process. The director can do the same. Like, I, like, this is so, so detailed and imagine if I can't, like, we could try this and try that and the actor can go, oh my God, like, this is so detailed and, you know, I can get really crazy and, like, what if we tried this? And it becomes more of a fun process because you do the creative stuff rather than the filling in the blanks. Like how got, are we
2: actually going to get this made stuff. Correct.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, one final piece of advice I would like to give before we move on to the uh, the next uh, bullet point is have confidence in your decisions. One of the greatest one of the greatest examples I can give of somebody who has confidence in every decision he makes is James Cameron. Yeah, he knows what he wants. He knows how he's going to get there. He's kind of more of an aggressive director, I would say. But look at his work. He's never done a bad piece of work, at least in my opinion. You could say what you want about Piranha. But afterwards, everything is... If you even consider Piranha 2 one of his. Because he did kind of get locked out of editing for that one. Fair enough. But, you know, he's had almost full, if not full, creative control on every project he's been on, and every single project he's been on has been damn near a masterpiece. I'm not a big fan of Avatar, but it is a damn good-looking film, and it's got an okay story. It's basic, but whatever. Mm. Do
2: you want to know something funny about Avatar? Hmm. So it won the best cinematography at Oscar, but the guy who won the award wasn't even on set for more than half of the shoot. He did none <laughs> like all like he did all of the practical locations and mm-hmm. he did the green screen work where it's like a non-blue person was yeah. supposed to be composited in. So anything that was supposed to have a real person in it, he did. Anything that was all effects work um was not him which was more than half the movie <laughs> yeah and he didn't even come on board until all that was done jesus christ
0: that's, that's hilarious that movie is still mind-blowingly mind-blowing to me but yeah. oh it's visually i it's just- i fully recommend watching the behind the scenes documentaries of aliens it is one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life and it also gives great insight into the movie and james cameron and I swear to God, it is the funniest thing in the world seeing James Cameron get pissed off because Brits take time off for tea. I still love that so much.
2: Yeah, you don't mess with anybody's tea time, Zach. Yeah,
0: apparently learned,
2: not. I learned that on the ship. There was a mutiny.
0: <laughs>
1: Oppos- opposed to, you know, George Lucas had a mental breakdown. James Cameron got pissed. Yeah. The, um, uh, you can tell the difference. And they're both dealing with very persn- persnickety British uh, crew. very persnickety British crew
0: either way all the movies turned out amazing
1: indeed Um, uh, moving on so what's the next uh, bullet point
2: Uh, the next one I have is believe it or not it is actually okay to say I don't know (laughs) if you don't know exactly what you want I don't know Um, was that a six I wasn't paying attention god damn it (laughs) that was not a six though
1: oh Um, (laughs) (laughs) god
2: I'm wearing headphones as we record this thing because I'm the one mixing it, so it's literally like Zach and Mark are right in my ears. Brandon. Welcome to Dark Souls. Uh. (coughs) There there, there was one legal job I was on, actually, where um, one of the lawyers, he had this empty glass next to him, and whenever we went on a break... He would take off his microphone and drop it into that empty glass before I had a chance to take my headphones off. <laughs> what a douche. God. Oh, my ears hurt so much by the end what of the day. What douchebag. Anyway. <laughs> it is okay to say, I don't know. Um, I do feel like a lot of um, new directors these days, they do, and it's like when we see a finished movie, we just see the finished product. When we see the making of materials, we do see the director talking about, oh yeah, I decided this, this, and this. And luckily I had my crew helping me out and all that. But in all of that, I do feel we lose the how much the crew actually does help the director bring his vision to life. Hell yeah. um, an example could be like if let's say we have a 10-day shooting schedule. Day three, we have a really big action sequence that we got to get done. And then day four, we just have simple dialogue scenes um, but we don't want to film it as just shot-reverse-shot, just two over-the-shoulders. We want to do something more creative than that. But at the beginning of the production, the director is just focusing on that, how am I going to get this big action scene done? And what can happen is he just doesn't have time to think about the smaller scenes. So when we get to the smaller scenes, he could be like, I don't exactly know how I want this to be. Um, And i feel it takes a really good director to tell his dp or relevant department heads for the scenes i don't exactly know what i want for the scene i know the feeling we're going for i don't know how to achieve it well when you say i don't know that allows me as dp to actually start discussing with you the needs for the scene and we can decide together how to best move forward as opposed to something that zach alluded to earlier which is Uh, something that um cinematographer john bailey he shot groundhog day and ordinary people he refers to this as dump truck filmmaking which is where you just shoot every conceivable angle that you can but is any of it really going to look good it might look okay but it's uh, is it going to be creative is it going to all cut together well maybe maybe not but instead of putting your time towards specific shots that you know you want you're putting all your time to just getting as much as you can so is any important shot really getting the time it needs to be done right probably maybe not. maybe
1: not probably not probably it's not.
0: a very inefficient way of shooting
1: yeah no it's um uh, yeah no, I, I, think about how much money they would have
0: saved if they didn't do it like that. Correct. Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, when you say I don't know, your department heads can actually talk to you and help you figure out what to do next.
1: Uh, the one uh, while Brennan thinks about that, I think yeah. one th- one thing I think is, is super important, and and I think this is important for the director re- uh, DP relationship and then director relationship with everybody. Decide who's running the show. Because there's been, Brandon has a funny story about Poltergeist where this comes into effect yeah. with the actor. But I've also seen this on a set where the producer and the director couldn't decide who the fuck was running the show. Yeah. And and when you get into that type of situation, it a couple things. It shows instability within your leadership that the the producer isn't allowing the director. You know, the thing is, the producer hired the director trust the direct. you you made the decision to hire that person to helm your project live with that fucking decision like you can't you can't all of a sudden hire somebody and then go oh well maybe you should no the you hired that person and you only step in something i've discovered being in the producer role the onset producer your job is to be the fix it guy when there's a problem you know y- you address it logistical issue budgetary issue crafty issue if there's issues with the department heads that can't be resolved by the director then that's when you step in it's when there's issues because there there's always going to be issues and then also too if um if uh the director or a dp you know or mostly the director doesn't feel comfortable with handling a certain situation um, it, it's up to the producer to, to take charge of that or they don't you know they think that hey the producer will probably do it better um Brandon, I think Brennan and Zach approached me on episode three and said, Hey Mark, could you know you do tend to be a little bit more of a better public speaker? Do you mm-hmm. mind getting the crew and cast together and try and saying, Hey, could you would you guys mind staying, you know, a little bit longer? Um, because we have a couple more shots and we're almost there. Do you mind yeah. taking care of that? Absolutely.
2: Especially since uh, yeah, that was because we did get put an hour and a half behind schedule due to the ambulances. Was and it and just an hour and a half? And, yeah, we were yeah, we were behind an hour and a half. Okay, I thought but, it was
0: like an hour to a half hour because I know that ambulance really set us back. Yeah,
2: and we were having trouble before the ambulance too with people walking into our shots. So yeah. when when you look at everything we had to redo, it was an hour and a half. We were put behind schedule. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and folks, but luckily, this like, uh, and this goes back to our first point planning. today. Yeah, because we did so much prep. Even though we were an hour and a half behind schedule, we finished only 25 minutes past the scheduled wrap time.
0: Indeed,
1: you guys were pl- you planned so well, uh, it ended up working out extremely well. But yeah, but going back to what I was saying, is decide who the fuck is in charge uh, because it shows instability within the crew uh, and it has issues with the actors. And I'm going to let Brendan tell the story about Poltergeist. Cause just it's actually a good story. Real quick, but,
0: just just to keep it simple. Make sure you have confidence in the person you're hiring to do that position. Because if you don't have confidence in them, you shouldn't hire them to begin with.
1: Whatever position that is. Yeah.
0: Doesn't matter what position, always have confidence in that person. Vet the hell out of them. It's just meet them in person, talk to them, look at their credentials, and then make an educated decision.
1: That's the best thing I could tell you. and, And honestly, it is one of those things, and this is just business advice. I know this is not always pragmatic, and it's different when you're on the low budget scale. Yeah. But sometimes you have to you know you have to ask somebody to leave or we haven't had that happen because everybody in our crew's family but um uh, but there are situations you know where that may come up that you have to say hey you know what this isn't working out yeah. um uh, you're not fulfilling the job you're not doing that most of the time when it gets to that point the other person knows um uh, but that being said it the director that's a conversation between the director and the producer more than anything else, and being like, hey, this person is not doing the job that we hired them to do. We thought they were going to do it, but do not sacrifice the production for one person. Indeed. All right.
0: Yep,
2: and I actually have a story about that but i may save that for after we're done recording i want Um, (laughs)
1: but i want to hear the steven spielberg story so the spielberg story so
2: on poltergeist toby hooper was the director on it uh there are rumors out there that spielberg was the actual director but when you actually listen to the people who were there toby hooper was in fact the director of it Um, but spielberg was the producer and there is a day that spielberg was visiting the set and of course, Spielberg is a director himself. And he was, of course, a lot younger then. So, probably, so you know, he's probably energetic, enthusiastic. Um, and he kind of just lost himself in the moment and he started giving direct, direction to one of the actors. I think it might have been Craig T. Nelson. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I'm pretty sure it was him. But anyway, he was directing him. And finally, the actor had to say, Steven, I can take direction from Toby or I can take direction from you, I can't do both." And after that Steven Spielberg realized, you're right and he backed off from directing after that.
0: I will point this out, this is something, um when you're a director and you're watching somebody else direct it is kind of hard to keep your mouth shut. I've been in that position before with a buddy of mine and it's like you see the way he's directing these things and you're just like... <sighs> you're gonna, You're always going to have your own vision and your own opinion on yeah. things, but at the end of the day, you have to respect that director's vision. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. If you want, talk to the director a little bit. Say, hey, maybe just talk, be like, I don't think you're doing this the right way. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But never just go out and be like, stand aside, yeah. let me do this. And yeah. for so, any new yeah.
2: DPs out there, um, if you get direction from somebody who is not the director, as I mentioned before... It's your job to bring the director's vision to life. So if you do have a producer saying, hey, I want this done this way instead, um, who do you decide who to listen to? The producer paying the checks or the director who you're supposed to be taking direction from? My advice is to tell that person, I have to listen to the director. If you don't mind, please take these suggestions to the director and he will pass that on along to me. Uh, because you can really only take direction from one person, but also you want to make sure if somebody in a position of power is telling you something, you want to acknowledge they are being heard, yeah. but there is a proper cha- chain of command that should be followed on set.
1: Correct. And and honestly, in there's countless studio examples. This happens in, you know, we're not going to hear it on the independent level. It happens in the independent level all the time. But on the major studio level, there's countless and countless stories of producers sticking their nose in director directorial duties, and and then it all goes to hell. The Most recent example is the most recent Hellboy.
0: Yeah. I don't think anything officially has come up about that yet, but I'd say that is a pretty good example of what it would look like. Yeah,
2: I mean, there have been stories about what happened there. I don't believe Neil Marshall himself has said anything <laughs> yeah, about what Everything
0: is just happened. rumors at this yeah. point, right? Because if you look at all the director's movies previously up to that one, you can see a clear, like, yeah, this seems off.
2: And I think I mentioned that, too, when I first shared my thoughts on... Very early episode of this podcast, yeah. but yeah, when you look at Dog Soldiers, you look at The Descent, you even look at his episodes of Game of Thrones, he does have a distinct style. He A Neil Marshall movie feels like a Neil Marshall movie. Yeah. Even his weaker stuff still feels like a Neil Marshall movie. Didn't they
0: fire his DP like halfway or a quarter way through production? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's Which, obvious. That so, was
2: weird, too, because I always pay attention to that stuff, and I remember seeing that DP listed on IMDb, But then, like, a couple days before we saw it, I was looking at it again. I'm just like, I don't remember this guy being the DP. What (laughs) happened there? And then, like, the day after that is when the article dropped and was like, oh.
0: Yeah. Somebody made the adjustment on IMDb. It's surreal shit shows. It's sad when shit like that happens, but it does happen. He was excited about that project, too. Like, if you listen to interviews with
2: him that were done, like, before principal photography was supposed to begin, it's like he was so
0: excited about it. Yeah, well, I would have been excited to work on the new Star Wars, but look where that went. Let's move on. Yeah, the uh... <laughs> um,
1: moving right along. Hey, Brandon, what else did you have on your list? So this or... is
2: the last of my bullet points, and and this is one. This is another one that um, you would think would be common knowledge, but it really isn't. And in fact, I've actually lost jobs because of this one before, and that's. Ultimately, the camera does not matter anywhere near as much as the person you put behind the camera and the content you put in front of the camera. At the end of the day, the camera is just a tool. Um, If you have an undecorated white wall apartment as your location, an Ari Alexa is not going to make it look any prettier. Mm -hmm. If your DP makes 90% of the frame headroom, a red camera is not going to save you from that. Mm. Um, if you have a DP that can't light and doesn't know that you shouldn't put the ISO above 800 million, <laughs> a Sony Venice
1: is
0: not going to save you. So we're that. shooting the sun today.
1: Um, <laughs> like what uh, Brandon. Yeah. Please explain what that means.
2: Uh, so in the ISO is the sensitivity of your camera. Um, it is measured in increments of stops. And just like with light, one stop is double the previous number. Um, typically, the lower the ISO, the less noise you have in your image. But also, each camera has a base ISO, which is where the camera has the max, its maximum dynamic range, which is its difference between its darkest spot and brightest spot. Mm-hmm. Um, some cameras like the Panasonic GH5S that we that we've been using for living nightmares kind of two native ISOs so you can have a higher ISO that has less noise your image looks better um, but if you keep raising your ISO even though the sensitivity is going up so is the amount of noise in your image so if you go too high you're just going kind to of have an unusable image cuz
1: too much noise. The, uh, when he says noise, he means static on the actual shot itself.
2: Static yeah. grain. Grain. Uh, you can call it grain yeah. if you want. Um, even though it's technically not, but essentially it, it it looks. It's basically digital grain, but it looks ugly as all hell.
1: Yeah. Um, that's folks. That's the reason why you actually light your your scenes yeah. with lights. The uh, because you can't.
2: That's why lighting's important. Cause, yeah. Because it um, matters.
1: Yeah, yeah. Lighting matters. The uh, wish hand that tr- yeah, shirt sure out to all of our grips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lighting. I'll get matters. one custom built for oh, David. Oh, no, 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 no. Hashtag, and Victor ha- #Hashtag lighting matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll
0: piss a lot of people off, but I don't care. <laughs> um,
1: uh, the uh, but yeah, that's I mean that's I think that was like the first lesson I ever learned in film. It, you know, is you need actual lighting, and you can't yeah. just turn the brightness up on a fucking camera because it no. looks like shit. First lesson I learned is that shit's always going to go bad. Um, I mean, I learned that later, but (laughs) I learned that when I was actually doing it.
2: But yeah, if you have somebody behind the camera that actually knows what they're doing, ultimately the camera does not matter. Um, There's actually a really recent study done by Steve Yedlin. He shot Brick, Looper, the horror movie May, most recently Knives Out. He also did Star Wars, Last Jedi, if that's your cup of tea. Um, Ooh. (laughs) Ooh, too soon? Too soon. But it's actually a really fascinating study because basically he proves that the whole film versus digital debate isn't as... It's bullshit. Yeah. It's not as big as people make it out to be. And what he did was he took a film camera and he took an Ari Alexa. He shot similar shots. And when you see the raw footage yeah they look different but ultimately there is a process to this um like think of it as think of it in terms of an old stills camera um once you take the shot is that it no you have to get the film developed or if you have your own dark room there are decisions you make in your dark room that help make the image look the way you want it to look um so basically post-production is part of the cinematography process at the end of the day we the filmmakers are in charge of what our image looks like not the camera Hmm. and so what he did was he actually matched the colors and brightness of the film camera with the digital camera and he showed that once you have the cameras actually matched that's where you see where the real differences between the cameras are because there are differences between cameras but he does feel like people are looking at the wrong Things He feels like most people just look at one end, one half of the process, but not the other half. Um, Also
1: name brands and and other bullshit. Basically,
2: in in part of the presentation, too, he says, as long as we're chasing um, what's good in front of the camera instead of bragging rights and brand recognition... There's no limit to what we can accomplish or right. I, I kind of butchered the quote should,
1: there but should, we should hang that shit up in a, on the wall yeah. somewhere
0: There's one thing I like to point out um, people tend to fall into the into the trap of brand recognition. Oh, yeah. the biggest one is Red Cameras. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I could give a thousand hells less about Red Cameras. That's Personally, actually what
2: I meant earlier by I've lost jobs because of that yeah, because I have a... met producers who only want Red Cameras, only want Red Cameras.
1: But a from a producer standpoint that's, that's that's bullshit marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, because they can sell it and sell it to investors and be like, "Oh, we shot it on Red because a hey, because it works with investors." And I get that from that perspective. But also, too, it doesn't matter how you mop the floor. Just mop the fucking floor. Exactly. Is, is the floor clean? The, uh, does it it's, look good? Can and you there see are considerations,
2: too. It's if Let's say, is your post-production going to be able to handle the red footage? If not, well, this red camera you wanted to shoot on, uh, guess what? It's unusable now because whoever you're using for post-production can't handle it. And now you've got to find somebody and spend money on them um i was also working with a director recently um who shot a short film a couple years ago on a red and he said the fans on it were so loud Hmm. that sound was a major concern Hmm. um so if you don't have the sound crew that a knowledgeable enough sound crew to make up for that you might have red fans in your audio track and actually i was very happy when um uh, so, I've been shooting his project on the same GH5S we've been using, which is a DSLM, uh, as opposed to the red D- cinema camera that was shot on his sh- earlier shore. DSLM? Said, it's basically a mirrorless DSLR.
0: Okay. Yeah, interesting. That's the first time I heard that one that before. Is, that is, yeah, that's
1: yeah. Cool. Um, uh, A DSLR, for everybody who's asking, is, is what you see most photographers with. Yes. Um, uh, that's a DSLR. Um, um, most independent filmmakers use it because the lenses are so interchangeable that, um, and
0: it's also very affordable that's, very the, affordable. that's the big that's the i would say that's, that's the, the big bigger reason. one more than anything else yeah, it's I mean, like you can easily afford a dslr he was over comparing the uh,
2: the red yeah. footage to the footage i've been shooting for him and even and i have a two and a half thousand camera compared to a 25 plus thousand red camera and he said for the most part couldn't tell the difference but the shots where there was difference
0: he greatly preferred mine
1: well that answers your question this is another thing i'll say
0: when i was in school most of the people i knew that had red cameras because a lot of people in our school just red was a big brand name and people fucking ate that shit up like hotcakes all those dps rich kids Barely any experience. There was only one guy I met that actually had a red who actually knew what the hell he was doing, had his own like DIT and He was a pretty cool guy. But all the rest of them, rich kids, shitty DPs, and they blew all their money on reds, barely had all the functioning parts to actually shoot a film, and it was more trouble than it was worth. Because most of them had trouble editing their films because they didn't have the operating, the proper system requirements to actually edit the footage because most of these guys were doing their own editing work at the time. Yeah. And the school's equipment, oh, fucking hell, the school's equipment was terrible. Y'all had to edit on max.
1: And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I'm a full-blown capitalist. I love to spend money. Uh, but don't spend money for the sake of fucking spending money. Don't just yeah. blow it. Yeah, like, I, mean, um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, and that, this is the biggest thing too is a lot of people don't, Here's something that, that people that aren't DPs or, or aren't filmmakers that don't need to realize is, yeah, you bought a camera, but what about the fucking lenses? Do you know yeah.
0: how to use the camera?
1: Well, I mean, that's... well That's, that's another thing. Well, that's a great thing, but I mean, I'm just talking about from a cost perspective. Like, when you buy a camera, it's just the housing. Like, that's it. Like, and you have a multitude of different lenses that you have to purchase to actually accomplish your goals. Because... If you, you have just lenses, have one, if you, you
2: have... have, you may need a monitor. Correct. Depending on the camera, you may need a different viewfinder.
0: Correct. If you buy RED, you literally need to buy everything else that comes with a um, normal camera. Like REDs, you only get, what is it, the body? I think it's just technical. They call code. it the brain. The brain, you yeah. get the brain. You got
2: to choose the lens mount for that one too. You got to get
0: a lens mount, you got to get lenses, you got to get audio mounting gear, you got to
1: get a uh, monitor,
0: you literally got to get it. They're the apple of cameras.
1: Yeah, they're definitely the apple of cameras. That um, is the, the simplest the, way I can put it. The EA games of cameras. For gamers, yes. <laughs> if uh, <laughs> EA if, games. They will find some way to fuck it
0: up.
2: And depending on your needs for the set, you may need wireless transmitter for your video. And I don't want this to turn into let's Bash Red, because I, I do think Red is a good camera, but I also believe right camera for the right job. And right. actually, I think one of the best examples of that is the Scarlett Johansson movie, Lucy, because uh, they used Ari uh Sony and Red all three on that movie. Um the yes. Sony F-65 was their main camera uh for interiors and day scenes because they just liked the color on that one the most. Um, they used the Ari Alexa for night exteriors because that one had the best low light capabilities. And then they use the RED camera for Steadicam shots because it was the lightest camera. It was the easiest to operate with the Steadicam. Yeah. So that one, instead of just going with one brand, they're just like, all these cameras have their own advantages and disadvantages. Let's use them.
0: Fair enough. It's one of the only scenarios I've ever actually heard of anybody doing that. Yeah. Successfully.
1: Or I would even ever. say,
0: yeah, it's more ever. I'm pretty sure if more people did that, you'd have you know slightly better looking films yeah. or more diverse. And
2: you do but, have it in smaller ways, too like they sh- like i don't know um actually this is kind of relevant for the entire series so far but better call Saul, the first two seasons um were shot with one of the 6k red cameras but whenever they would have a shot that let's say they needed the camera in a really cramped spot and they couldn't fit their full rig in there they would just use a little Panasonic GH4 like I have here. Like <laughs> literally, they would use a GH4 for those kind of shots. Awesome. Um, so in Better Call Saul first two seasons, you have both a $50,000 6K red camera, intersliced with a, occasionally intercut with a $2,000, now less than $2,000 Panasonic camera. Um, and then when season three came, they changed DPs. Um, and then they uh, still went with the 6k reds. I think they started with the 8k on season four, but that doesn't really matter for this conversation. But then they also brought in like the Panasonic Vericam 35, which is like Panasonic's big flagship cinema camera. Uh, and they brought that in for the night scenes because that has like a native ISO of 5,000, which is really sensitive and you can have like virtually noiseless night scenes. Wow. Um, so all the night scenes in Better Call Saul season three, and I since they kept this DP for season four and I believe season five now, it, I'd imagine it's the same workflow. But at least for season three, any night scene was a Panasonic camera and not a RED. They still use the RED camera for everything else to not change their workflow all that much in post-production. But the point is, they're using two completely different brands of cameras for two completely different... Necessities of their job.
1: Fair enough. So ultimately, the point is that don't get caught up in in the brand bu- names. In brand names, don't get caught up with the bullshit. You know, you want
2: somebody
0: that knows what they're
1: doing. Do know what they're doing, and then also you know, do your research, know what your budget is, and and plan, plan, and then yeah. fill your needs as 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 they are. Because some projects are going to need things, in others. You know, you may need a $6,000 red that's that for a lot of light tracking shots because you have an action film, but you may not need to spend that money on a romantic comedy. And I'm just speaking general in yeah. general film terms. Like, it just depends on the film. It really just depends on the film or whatever project you're working on. So, is that your last one?
2: Yeah, uh, that was my last one. And it's like, look at what we do for Living Nightmares. We've done a lot of night exteriors. Okay. So, like, the Panasonic GH5S I have has that dual native ISO that I mentioned earlier. So we can have that more sensitive camera, that more sensitive sensor on our camera, and still end up with a nice-looking image. Um, we wouldn't be able to do that with my old GH4 that I have here. Like, mm. if we shot the same ISO on this camera compared to what we've been using, it would be unusable. You would tell me, Brandon, what are
1: you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell does this look like? So Zach, I want to hear some of your bullet points if they hadn't already been mentioned.
0: I mean, I think that just about covers
2: everything. Okay. Yeah. And um, we will put a link to the uh, Steve Yedlin presentation. Overall, it's like <laughs> little. Yedlin. It's a little over an hour long, but if you are interested in cinematography, it is very, very insightful.
1: Yeah. The. Um, uh,
0: the cinema of photography process is a yeah. very complicated yeah. one. Yeah. Meh. Yeah.
1: Meh. Yeah. The. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's definitely good. I, you know, the one, the, the the story I was thinking about the other day that I'm shocked that you didn't know until I told you was what happened to What's-His-Face, the DP on Scream. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that i actually... I'm,
2: I'm sure I saw that at some point, but for whatever reason, I just didn't know what you told me about it. And I looked it up on YouTube, and there is a, um, a YouTube audio snippet of Mark Irwin talking about the experience. I'll put a link to that as well. Um, but basically, Mark Irwin got fired... Um because all the footage, all thirty days of filming so far That's were out of, focus. out of focus.
1: What? Even though it's it, but it's, the hilarious part is all the footage he shot is still in the movie. <laughs> Tell me which one's out of fucking focus. Yeah.
2: And <laughs> in, in, in in the um in the audio snippet, like they refer to uh to Patrick in the audio snippet, Patrick Lugier, who was the editor um, they were telling him, yeah, Patrick called us, says none of us cuts together. We have to reshoot everything. But then he called Patrick himself, and Patrick was like, oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> so it's what really happened there. I don't know. I I, like, I, I I think that's one of those things where it's like we're, we're never really going to know what happened. It, it's, that's,
1: a, it's, a, it's a Hollywood mystery that we we'll probably. That is super interesting. Um, uh, the, uh, according, to, according to him, um, uh, he's, uh, there was some type of backroom thing with the producing staff. Oh, boy. Um, Here we go with uh, that. You know, There's some type of thing, so, some type of thing, but they're watching dailies at one point, and they said, uh, all this shit's out of focus. And he's like, no, it's not. And then they had the whole conversation with the editor. They went into a separate room, and they said, all right, here's what we want you to do. We want you to fire pretty much your entire staff.
2: Fire, Fire the... Camera crew, the grip crew, the electric crew, and get a whole new camera package.
1: And he and he said, "Well, you might as well get another uh, another DP." To while which you're
2: at. Wes said, "Good idea." And 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 they let him go. He was gone, and then they brought in Peter Dimming, who also did the
1: uh, sequels. Yep. Holy shit! You have such a weird fucking story. That's like I get it. Like if if like he fucked the whole production, but like all his footage is still in there, and I don't. I, I do not see us. I've watched that movie dozens of times. I do not see I'm any sure issues with have. focus. I don't see any issues with focus in that movie. I mean, I rewatched
0: them like when we were doing our like twenty five horror movies or whatever. And I didn't have any problems with it.
1: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see anything uh, focus wise issues. With, I'm sure. With what I don't know. Maybe if they ever come
0: up with a four K box set, we'll be able to dive wow. through it on the TV or whatever. But I think that'll
1: tell a lot. In oh, any cool.
2: focus issues, especially if they do a new scan. Yeah, the negative any focus issues aren't going to be hidden in a 4K mission. Oh, it was just about um, to
1: say. Oh, uh, how much could John Wu do? Uh, how much could John Wu woo, woo in a movie? And you if a John
2: ready. Woo could woo John,
1: exactly. Yes, how much John could woo John Koo could woo John Koo. That is exactly what how many doves can we put in this movie? <laughs> <laughs>
0: When 100 more doves or I walk the um, uh, dude uh,
1: remember, do you remember the movie Big Fat Liar yeah do you remember the remember Harold like yeah. it, they're literally making fun of John Wu? <laughs> It's like we need to, we need to have fifteen different camera angles at the same time. We need fifteen cameras running at the same time with birds flying around. I'm like holy shit,
0: it's terrible. I John really Wu. want to rewatch.
1: It has been like ten, maybe
0: fifteen plus years since I have seen Big Fat Liar, oh, and I am sure it is way funnier today
1: than it was oh, when I watched it as a kid. Oh, he's a he's a nightmare. Um, he's so fucking funny. The uh, God, fucking John uh, John Woo man. <laughs> the John Woo, Woo if a John Woo, uh, Woo wooed. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. The answer oh, is yes. Oh
0: man, those were
1: simpler times. The uh, uh it's it's our audience. When get Big Fat Liar
2: them. is on Netflix.
0: Yeah, it's on Netflix. What about the 4K? Come
1: on, Brandon. You're your a when it comes to... You want that
2: HDR blue Paul
0: Giamatti? Absolutely.
1: fucking <laughs> lootly. No, he wants, he wants a, 4, a 4K version of Paul Giamatti in a Speedo dancing to, to, to Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran. That shit is hilarious. <laughs> Who the fuck doesn't look at their shampoo before they put it in their hair? Who doesn't do that? Besides Brandon, who's bald. um, That's uh, a very fair point. um,
2: Well, the shampoo turned his hair orange.
1: I know, but 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 The, the blue was the pool. I know, but he literally said that he the actual fucking shampoo <laughs> is orange you can see it when he puts it in his hair maybe he had and orange beard. shampoo
0: okay i'm not gonna say that's out of the realm of possibility yeah, and i haven't sure. seen
2: the movie in a while so i can't really say what yeah, color it, his shampoo was regardless it, it's one of those things where i just got to sit down and
0: rewatch that movie in i really want to
1: in case you didn't feel dated in that movie they steal his palm pilot
2: Two
0: thousand
1: and two. Yep. <laughs> was they,
2: it? I thought that was ninety nine. No, two thousand and two. Yeah. The, he was. Amanda at, Bynes was still with us. Yeah. on this, <laughs> on this <laughs> <comedy>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, that was
0: awesome.
1: <laughs> hey, anybody remember Lindsay Lohan? The uh, yeah, she was still with us then too. <laughs> the um, uh, and Frankie Muniz wasn't retired. Uh, okay here's the thing I hear Frank Immune has actually got into a horrible accident and
0: lost like a good chunk of his memory which is why he's not acting because he just doesn't he does
2: pop up here and there he did do a guest voice on the Harley Quinn animated series and he did do a guest spot as himself in an episode of Preacher
1: that is pretty I don't
2: remember that
1: episode he was also he was also in an episode of Criminal Minds and it was actually a really good fucking episode oh yeah wasn't he
2: like uh, an artist or something yeah he was a graphic
1: novelist um, uh, and he ended up his fiance ended up getting murdered by a street gang, and he literally turned into a comic book character and went back and murdered all of them. Good for him! It was, pretty, it was actually a really good episode. I'm sure it was, but yeah,
0: I I, I remember hearing that. I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty fucking tragic. Yeah, Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, that sucks.
1: Swell. The uh, I mean, shit, that happened to Mark Hamill between um, Empire and Return.
0: Well, yeah, that's why they had to make the excuse of how his face got fucked up. Yeah, exactly. The, it's uh, just um, like shit. What about? Hang on, I got this. The uh, we now gonna, have a wampa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did not trash my Maserati. <laughs> oh, George, you're amazing. Got someone that did not sell. Got someone that Star Wars money, yo. <laughs> the uh, he gave everyone fucking bonuses to after Empire. The uh, I need sh- a
0: time machine. I need to go back to 2012 and stop George from selling it.
1: No, fuck that. I want to go back to 77 and invest in Fox.
2: No, what what I want to do is go back to 76, write Empire Strikes Back, wait for Star Wars to be released, then
1: show up at the studio and be like, bam, there's a script for a sequel.
0: <laughs> I will murder you.
1: No, he would write it exactly the same as it was. I yeah. don't
0: care. No, there would be changes. No, there were not No script ever stays the same. You leave it alone. <laughs> we're going back. We're murdering Disney, stopping George from selling it. And everything will be just fine.
2: Look, the only change I would make is I'd, tr- I'd change the, the uh, carbonite into Ewoks.
1: You're a monster, you know that? I know. <laughs> you. are a son of a bitch.
2: What would that be like, though? Is i being encased in carbonite, he's being encased in Ewoks? Like, what would
1: that be? I bathe in the blood of my enemies. <laughs> The, the fucking, like, dude, they, uh, oh, oh, at the dinner that they, that they awkwardly went to, that they cut out of the movie, they would serve Ewok venison. <laughs> Brandon would definitely do that. Uh, welcome to dinner. We're having Ewok. Uh, and then also, uh, please uh, like, share, and subscribe everything. Um, uh, we can find them. Uh, find us on all of the uh, social medias, um, uh, all, except Twitter, because fuck that. Um, uh, we're at the Midwest Horror Network. Midwest Horror Network. Midwest. There's Horror. no the. No, okay. It's so cleaner. We, <laughs> the uh, uh, like, like. We are
0: not the pretentious, Mark. We do not do
1: the or the the. Uh, um, uh, we are just. Midwest. We Horror. exist. Midwest Horror Network. Uh, you can find us on the Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, at Midwest Horror Network. At Midwest Horror Network. Uh, you will f- see a website coming very, very soon. Zach, we're also on another one, too. Slasher. There you go. Um, uh, you can find us there. Please uh, And you can like- also
2: find our podcast on Spotify and Anchor. And you can also uh, help support our podcast through Anchor as well. Link is in the description. Any money we make from this podcast goes right back into all Midwest Horror Network productions.
1: Indeed. Indeed make sure you uh, um, uh, share this and tell all your uh, brothers and aunt, uh, aunts uncles sisters best friends neighbors all those great people all about our wonderful projects that we got coming up and actually too if you do have a suggestion for any future podcast or anything like like hey you know you guys should talk about this uh, put it in the description below and we'll maybe we'll do it <laughs> no we'll do it I promise
0: at right. some point in our lives or will we all right,
2: I think that about does it. Cool. Um, everyone, have a great day. Indeed. Take it easy. Have a good
0: night. Yeah.